Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations to help you examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. You heard it correctly. We don't give you the one right answer. We talk about issues, sometimes we disagree on solutions, and then you decide on your own approach. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Good morning, everybody. In the last episode, we talked about things you should never say, and we had over a dozen strong suggestions of what not to say. Among them, have you gained weight? Is that your real hair? When are you due? And when was the last time you went to confession? Today, we're talking about things you should always say. I'll admit it was harder to come up with this list. It was more difficult to suss out what you should say. I'm not sure why that is, but that's what I found. We also found that most of the items on this list of what you should always say relate to reaching out, to taking time to know, see, and care for one another. The novelist Ian Forster coined the phrase, only connect. That, in a nutshell, is the wisdom this list imparts to us today. Let's begin with the two known as the magic words. We all heard these in childhood, please and thank you. Things you should always say. You can't go wrong with please and thank you. You're welcome. Excuse me. You should always greet people, look them in the eye. It's very important to use people's names. People love to hear their name. I think it makes them feel good. And it also tells them that you recognize them and you know who they are. And then I learned from living in Texas that yes, ma'am, no, sir, goes a long way. In the South. Anywhere. Just a real polite sign of respect. Old-fashioned, but never outdated. Yes, please, thank you, use people's names. I like that. Yeah, all good. I mean, geez, what can I add to that? Back to basics. Yeah. Okay, next one on the list of things you should always say. How are you? How is the family? Tell me about you. What's new? What's been going on since we saw you last? This is a way to stop talking about yourself and show an interest in the person you're talking with. A lot of times we do get to talking about ourselves and uh, realize that the other person hasn't said anything, nor have we asked them about their lives. So always a good idea to remember to say, how are you? How are things? What's new? I totally agree, Morna. I think kind of getting out of your own way in conversation, one-on-one, back and forth with somebody, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, and turning the conversation towards them and making them feel like you really enjoy seeing them. There's lots of different ways to go about that with words and body language, but that's the goal. One thing I'd add is that if you haven't seen somebody in a while and you you kind of, they don't surprise you, you know you're going to talk to them, figure out what you talked about the last time or get a detail from their lives that you want to bring up again and ask them about it. Say, you know, oh, the last time we talked, you know, your son had just made the baseball team and how'd that go? And then all of a sudden you have, you have done a lot of things. You've shown interest in that person. You've shown that you care enough to remember a detail. You've extended it to their family. And, you know, it's just a way to kind of kick things off and get things going if you want to say more than just a couple lines to that person. Yeah, I like that. That's very valuable advice. In addition to that, be an active listener. You know, as the person is telling you how they're doing or talking about the baseball season, really listen and attend. 
which I think in today's world is so hard. We're so distracted. We're running around. We're looking at our phones. We've got a thousand things going on. And if you can just kind of sit and listen, it can go such a long way. Absolutely agree, especially with an older audience. If you don't sit down or stand, uh, not, not that you invade someone's space, but you, you make it apparent, you make it clear that you are interested in that person at that moment, especially with someone who's a little older. It, it's body language, it's eye contact, and it's what you say. It's the whole package. Right. And I would add that I'm noticing, it, like you said, Kelly, an epidemic of poor listening going on in this culture right now. So let's try to turn that around. Just that I think it's a sign of compassion, too, and kindness to really engage with somebody and ask them how they're doing. In addition, I'd say not making it up, but being sincere. If you can compliment somebody, that goes a long way, whether it be you know something with regard to their appearance that day, um, their tie, their whatever. But again, it should be sincere, what they're good at, if they did a good job. If something positive comes into your mind, going ahead and sharing that with that person, it goes a long way. We yeah. all need to be lifted up and reminded of our value. And today... Oh, yeah, absolutely so hard today you know it can be lonely and and difficult for a lot of people so if you have something positive to say speak it yeah to kelly's point one i think one of the great ironies of our current society is that we all talk about being better connected and that's usually in reference to uh, an online community of some sort and yes you know we we can reach out to and contact people that formerly were out of reach so at that level, yes, we're more connected, but I, I have become increasingly convinced that, you know, in the personal life and those that are around you, those that you live with, those that you see on a regular basis, we're becoming much less interested and perhaps even a little less skilled in interacting kind of in, in the older ways. Um, again, this can be a generational thing. I think young people have a real challenge with it, but people, there's some people out there who, although they are in modern parlance well connected are really lonely or really isolated and if you can connect with them and um you know make a difference in their day hey it's all good one genuine personal interaction yeah that's make right. all the difference yep. yeah and along those lines smiling saying hello like a smile yeah. goes such a long way and right. The sad thing is we missed that during the pandemic. I mean, I realized a couple times, you know, shopping or doing things, I was smiling or trying to kind of greet somebody or acknowledge them. And, and I realized they had no idea. Behind your mask? Yeah. yeah. Like they were like a couple of times they looked at me I like, did too. oh my God, what's the matter yeah. with that woman? <laughs> yeah. That made me realize how much of my interaction is nonverbal. Yeah. Yeah, me right. too. The masks kept us from doing that. Mm-hmm. Still do. I'm still seeing a lot of people wearing masks. Oh, yeah. Next one. How can I help? Now, I remember when I was in grad school, my husband at the time was getting ready to deploy to Kosovo at the time. It was a hot spot. And I said to my uh, grad school seminar leader, well, my husband is getting ready to deploy for six months. And she said, what can I do to help you? And I thought, you know, talk about a genuine personal moment of interaction. That was really meaningful to me for her to say that. What can I do to help you? She knew I had two kids and I just was really touched. It was really thoughtful of her rather than the line, which we all tend to toss this off. Hey, if there's anything you need, let me know. But that's a little different than saying, how can I help? So what did you say, Marna? <laughs> I said, well, 
And did she help? Give me a break on this paper. That's what I <laughs> No, I didn't say that. You know, I don't know that I availed her of anything, but it was just very nice to know that I had her support. Yeah, no, that's good. I think this is another, and we've said this so many times in this podcast, that person made you feel good, right? So all, right. there's the gift. There's the initial gift. Mm-hmm. Now, she might follow up with something yeah. that, uh, that's valuable or helpful, but there's the initial gift. Right. She and, genuinely uh, meant it, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big piece is yeah. her sincerity, right? That's what really means a lot. You know, we're talking about these things, but they can't be done in, like, a perfunctory manner. They they have to be done from the heart and, and really kind of meaning it and and clearly she did that goes a long way and that was really before I think you know professors did that kind of thing I think now from talking to my kids because of everything people are dealing with professors seem to be more available uh, more flexible more willing to work with students because they know uh, just what a struggle it is when we were in school and grad school or law school, they weren't super flexible. Uh, they were like, hey, my way or the highway, get yeah. it done or you're getting a zero. Or I remember a couple of times where it was like, it's due on this date. It, I remember this at William & Mary, Marna. If you turn it in a, a day late, you're, you're starting at a B. If you turn it in two days late, you're starting at a C. And right. after that, probably don't bother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I needed all the help I could get at the time, so... Yeah, I mean, and there was no going to talk to a professor, you know, about any, you know, just get it done. And I went to a grad school where a lot of the grad students, they weren't your typical 20-somethings. They were older. Sometimes they were former service members, parents, mid-career professionals. So we all had really busy lives. And I think that the grad school faculty was a little bit more understanding because of that. You know, we were doing our best. Right. Yeah, that wasn't my experience, but I was the typical, took a year off from college and went right to law school. So we were generally a young bunch. When I first met Mike, he and my husband at the time were both instructors at West Point. And watching those instructors had a big effect on my life because you guys didn't have an impersonal relationship with the cadets. You were very engaged with them because you were not just teaching students, but you were teaching future officers mm-hmm. and citizens, and you were role modeling what it meant to be an officer in the Army and what it meant to be a, a father or a mother, mm-hmm. a parent, a spouse, the whole kind of the whole person concept. So yeah. when I went into teaching, if I taught freshman composition, I took that ethos with me, you know, really engaging with my students as whole persons and understanding their lives at the time. Thank you, Marna. That was a very nice thing to say. Speaking of compliments that we're talking about today. <laughs> but it was sincere. Yeah. It was sincere. <laughs> it was yeah. sincere. Yeah. Yeah. I sincerely mean that. No, no, that's good. Yeah. It, it helps me put that in perspective. You know, it was, a, it was a remarkable chapter in my life because it was a privilege. Let's just put it plain and simple. It was a privilege. And uh, so I just hadn't looked at it through that lens. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it was very meaningful to see. I liked it. And, you know, we still, I'm still in touch with the cadets that we sponsored at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That's a special thing. We've had, yeah, we, we are also, both Kathy and myself, having both taught there. You know, we just got back from a trip to Arkansas with one of Kathy's former students to visit one of Kathy's former students. And, that's uh, nice. Yeah. Lifelong relationships. That was really cool. That's what know? it's all about. Yeah, that's great. Okay, next one. Speaking of how can I help, here's a great line you should always say whenever you can to somebody who's going through something. Hey, can I bring you dinner? 
I remember two neighbors when I lived in Rhode Island, they happened to have babies at the same time. And I called them up and said, um, hey, Tuesday, is it is it okay if I bring you dinner? And that's pretty <laughs> typical in our army community, right, Mike? It's yeah. like, let me bring you dinner. But apparently it wasn't so typical in that civilian community. And, and mm-hmm. so they kind of looked, looked at me strange and and she was like, well, okay, I guess. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> so I took them dinner. Well, how much do I owe you? <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got my kids involved. That was always fun. We could get them involved, making it and taking it over. And both of them said to me, Marna, thank you so much. Because you brought me dinner, I was able to take a nap today. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's, that's great. That worked out really well. That's cool. It's a very cool. comforting gesture really when cool. somebody brings you dinner. See, and you hit both your marks there, Marna. You asked the question, and there's only one answer to that question. Can I bring you dinner? I, that, you know, that's, it's implied that you're at that point going to bring them dinner. It's just a matter of yeah. when. So nicely done. So that's a nice thing. And I had, when my dad died, I had a neighbors bring me over some meals. That was in October, and, and it was really nice. You know, not just the food, the sustenance, but the kindness really helped out at the time. Yeah, that goes a long way. The, the actual follow-through, like not a high level, can I bring you dinner? Because most people are going to be like, eh, that's okay. You know, they're going to want to decline. But when you're like, hey, you know, I want to bring you dinner this night. Will right. that work? You're kind of, you know, the person is kind of like, oh, wow, this is real. Get and ready. Oh, it's yeah, coming. <laughs> that would be great. Tuesday, yeah, I don't have any food and I've got no plans. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just think the, the way you did it is really spot on. You know, on that note, Marna, if we're talking today about what we should say to others. And I think good conversation, it's often more reflective of a person's character than like a discrete skill set. So, you know, by this whole bringing somebody dinner, that, that's representative of your character. It's not like, you know, a, a set of moves that you learn that you're then going to execute. And so I think we can apply that in general to conversation, good conversation and meaningful, empathetic conversation. It's reflective of who you are. And if you do it well, kind of it tightens the fabric of life for both the person you're speaking with and you. Mm-hmm. So, And it- It speaks to Kelly's point about being authentic, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that it's a a sign of character, but I think there are a lot of people with fine character who don't have the people skills or are very shy or lack confidence, and so they're unable to do those things, but they still have character. I just think that having, you know, EQ, I guess is what they call it today, you know, emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah is a skill it is um so i sort of i agree with you but i don't because i do think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of good eggs out there but they just don't know how to you know reach out and they just lack the ability to do so and it it's it's sad because it's one of those things that builds on itself like you have to do it Mm -hmm. to gain the confidence to do it again Mm -hmm. or you just have to be so outgoing that you're just going to do it and you don't care or you're so confident that you don't, you know, that you're just going to do it. I mean, I can remember my first job out of law school. I was a, a law clerk and one of the judges I did not clerk for, he was very well respected and the judge I clerked for wanted me to establish a relationship with him and perhaps work with him as well. You know, I didn't know all that at the time. And so one day I came into work and he's like, hey, I want you to go down to judge... Spencer's Chambers, I want you to introduce yourself 
and ask if you can help him with any pending cases. I was hmm. like, well, that would be what? hard for an introvert. <laughs> I, well, and I'm not an introvert. I, know. I, was, I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, like, and he was just like, basically do it. Go down there now. It was horrible. But I, I did it. I had no choice. And I had to do it immediately because he was like, and when you get back, we're going to go over blah, blah, blah. So I went down there. And, you know, these chambers are these huge set of offices. And you first go in and you have to deal with the judge's secretary, who generally is a woman north of 50 that's worked with him for a cabillion years and who is like his screener and his protector and is super tough. And <laughs> it just, you know, so I had to go there and be like... I I've can met still, some of those. I can still remember her name. Her name was Jean. I was like, hello, Jean. My name is... <laughs> How could I? And she looked at me like kind of a scant. Well, I'll see if he's available. You know, uh, and then I <laughs> right. had to, it was just. It I'll was see awful. if he's available. <laughs> yeah. So did, did you get in? Did you I get did? It? Yeah. Wow. He was, Nicely you know, done, he, Kelly. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. How did it go when you were in there? Oh, I'm sure I could hardly put a sentence together. I can't even remember. <laughs> but I, I did it, and he was lovely. He was a really fine man, and and then you know his clerks were there because he had his own clerks. And they were kind of like, what the hell is she doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it just was, having said all that, it was a great experience. And it's something I really learned from, obviously, all these years later, I remember. Never would have happened. Never. If the Step outside your comfort zone, right? Yeah, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, hey, right now, this is what you're doing. Did he have any cases he needed help with? He did. I mean, I ended up having a good connection with him getting involved, I think, a little bit in some of his work. You know, I can remember it was his birthday, and I made the cake and participated in the um, the little celebration. And then I, can, I practiced in front of him over the subsequent years. And I always just thought so highly of him. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a great experience. And I think the judge that I clerked for knew that it was important for me to get to know him. Mm -hmm. So never would have happened if I hadn't been pushed outside my comfort zone. And that sort of gave me the confidence in the future to sort of reach out to people, say hello to people that I'm not comfortable with that really are outside of my social circle or my crowd, so to mm -hmm. speak. Mm -hmm. So feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, you know, there's that phrase, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And sometimes in conversation, that's an important thing to remember. You may know you should speak with someone, but you may not necessarily want to speak with someone. But for reasons that are important to the person you're thinking about, you know, it, it may be very valuable. So again, get out of your own way in terms of conversation and think about the other person. Right. Make it about the other person. All right. Next one. Now, my mother, I love you, but I'm getting ready to diss you. <laughs> when we when we're in a car together and I'm driving, she narrates the drive for me. Talk about a backseat driver, passenger seat driver. She'll say, okay, put the car in reverse and let's back out. Or do you see this stoplight coming up? There's a red light. You, you'll need to stop. Or let's find a parking spot. There's one right up here. And one time we got in the car and we were coming to a stop sign. And she said, stop sign you need to stop. And I stopped and I looked at her and I said, Mom, you're, you're not going to narrate this drive for me. No, 
no, no, no. Okay. Okay. I said, you know, if you see something dangerous on the drive, by all means, say something, point it out, but you don't need to narrate the driving for me. So here's something you should always say. Hey, do you see this car coming towards us on the right? You should always speak up. Do you see this semi truck that's trying to merge? Did you notice that? Okay. Just wanted to make sure you saw that. (laughs) (laughs) That really should be more like, watch out. Two sets of eyes are better than uh, one. I have to echo some wisdom I will never forget from Kelly, and that is, Kelly, now you need to know this. So in a previous conversation, you made a difference. Whenever I am driving now and I see someone usually coming (laughs) from my left with their blinker on, and one would think say. and one would think they're going to turn and I could I could maybe sneak out a little early and cross that intersection I think to Kelly's wise words which were never trust a blinker That is so true <laughs> one of my dads yes. that, that is one of my dads All right so we'll give your dad attribution Oh but, yeah um, my dad was like all yeah. three of us are like never trust a blinker my dad We had an accident once where the guy had his blinker on he was turning so we pulled out but he kept going straight he didn't turn and he hit our Volvo Oh. <laughs> Our two kids in the, were in the back. Yeah, everybody was okay though. But apparently, you're supposed to practice defensive driving and not and not trust a blinker because it's not legally a defense. I guess you, if you say, "Well, he had his blinker on, so I turned." Oh wow! Okay, is that true, huh. Kelly? You know, I don't know that. I've never used that as a defense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, like, tra- whose fault is it? He had his blinker on. Now you should have been practicing defensive driving. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense to me. But, I mean, I was brought up with never trust a blinker. So what can I say? That's Uh, really valuable advice. (laughs) All right, so, Marna, back to you. And I have a question here, very important. I hope your mother's listening. Did she teach you to drive? Back then, when I was in high school, we had a classroom instruction. We also had driver's ed. Right, as did Uh, I. Which I don't think they do anymore. Both me my too. kids, we just got they just got learner's permit. It was up to me to teach them how to drive, uh-huh. which is a terrible way to do it because <laughs> it just reinforces the bad habits of the parents, uh-huh. right? You know, I had one learn to drive in Texas and two here in Pennsylvania, and the same was true. No driver's ed like what we had. I think the schools are kind of down to the bone as far as these extra programs, but I didn't teach them. I, we you know, we got them classes, and then I had my husband do it because I'm the worst backseat driver ever. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> terrible. You like and my I, mother. <laughs> I feel like I have to, like, t- take medication or drink before I get in the car with the kids because it's just so frightening. jeez. <laughs> oh, Even huh? still? No, no, no. Not, not anymore. So I must have spent a lot of time in the car with my mom when I had my learner's yeah, permit. So. Yeah. so I think, to your mom's defense... Perhaps there's still some scar tissue there, Marna. That's all I'm saying, you know. I mean, you know, some of those things just don't go away. From when she taught me to drive. Right. We trauma bonded when I was learning to drive. Trauma-informed driving. (laughs) You know what she still does? We were just laughing about this. She still does the mom seatbelt to me. I'm 59 years old, and if there's a sudden stop, she'll throw her arm out yeah. to my chest oh, yeah, to yeah, stop yeah, me yeah, from yeah. That's old school. That's That comes from before seatbelts, you know. Uh, my parents did the, the same thing when I was a kid, I remember. It does, or, definitely. Yeah. Young listeners out there, by the way, when we were young, we didn't have safety seats. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I can remember driving. We moved from New York to Missouri when I was around 10. We loaded up like the 1960s, whatever, station wagon. My brother was a new baby. The three of us sat in the back seat. And then you know how the 
the back of the station wagon was flat and wide open. Mm-hmm. Well, he had like a bassinet. My parents just threw the bassinet back there and he just slept. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and that's remember, the way it was. <laughs> and I remember like at one point, actually, we unfortunately were in a, an accident on the way. We didn't have seatbelts on. My parents were like telling us to grab our pillows and I had to grab the bassinet you know, like to hold it in place. Like I couldn't hold my brother, you know, so I was just like holding the bassinet. I'm not sure what good that would have done <laughs> under many different scenarios. As, as the accident was unfolding? She yeah, said. yeah, yeah. I was holding the bassinet. So, oh my wow. gosh. Wow. Yeah, it worked out okay. But I mean, can yeah. you imagine just a, a baby snoozing in the back? Yeah, um, but that's the way it was. Oh, or on was the floor of the car. Yep. Perfectly mm-hmm. normal. Perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't start wearing seatbelts till I was out of college, really. Was that your young, rebellious self, Marna? Yeah, perhaps lack of reinforcement in the car. <laughs> you know, we just never put them on till. But when you were flying helicopters, I'm sure you put your seatbelt on, Oh, right? super safety, yeah. Okay. Just and the checking. reason I started wearing them was because, you know, when you went on, I was in the Army after college. And when you went on post, you had to have your seatbelt on. Yeah, I got in the habit. That's right. That's right. And if you didn't, boy, oh, boy, you got it from the military police. You get a ticket. Got a little off the rails there, but that's okay. We like going off the rails. (laughs) We're good at that. All right. So the next one is Naomi Judd died, unfortunately. What a loss. And there's been a lot of clips on television with interviews of the Judds. And they're pretty honest about having a therapist pretty much on retainer for the last 10 or 15 years for their mm-hmm. mother-daughter issues. They're pretty mm-hmm. honest about that. He gave them tools for their relationship. And one of the phrases that they use with each other is, that's not going to work for me, which I think is a great tool for everybody because it's a way to disagree without people getting so offended. It's like, right. that's not going to work for me. I don't really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Jeez, Kelly. I mean, Okay. What would it you almost, say? Yeah. It almost it's, sounds hell like no, you're of, wrong. It almost sounds like oh, that's not going to work for me. Like I'm not going to explain <laughs> to you why. Well, well, of course, <laughs> then you go into explaining it. But how? What do you suggest? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know that I have an answer. I here's my answer, and it's not my answer. I in preparing for today's podcast, I found a Reader's Digest article, which I think we could post, Marn. I'll send it to you. But it was uh, 14 things polite people always say which I liked. Um, And it kind of goes with things you should always say. What they suggest if you disagree with someone, they say a polite way to disagree is just to say perhaps. You know, obviously, maybe that doesn't work in a mother-daughter situation because I know my mom would be like, well, what the hell does that mean? Perhaps? What are you talking about? Yeah. She she would do the same thing with that doesn't work for me. I mean, that just seems just kicking the can down the road. But I think perhaps in many situations where, like, maybe somebody's invited you to do something and you're just, you could be like, oh, I'm not really sure. You know, let me look at, you know, perhaps I'll look at my schedule. And it's a way of, of just kind of agreeing to disagree and maybe more like you know talking about politics or who's going to get elected you could be like oh well yeah perhaps because you don't want to be like well that's the dumbest thing i've heard my dad always suggested it depends as an answer yeah that's a good one so i I don't really like you know that that Mm -hmm. that won't work for me because then i'm going to be like well why not that's not gonna well how about in really touchy personal conversations if somebody said that to you would that work yeah i mean maybe i guess i'd like to hear that won't work for me because 
Because, yeah, yeah. with an explanation. With, with, it, with some sort of an explanation. Because otherwise it comes across as almost a little condescending. Like, I, I can't explain it to you. Like, you're beneath understanding. But I, I don't think that he said that you weren't then supposed to explain. That's just a, a segue. Oh, okay. Well, good. Because otherwise, you know, like, that won't yeah. work for me. Yeah, like, it's you not. around and walk away. Like, no, no, no. It's not dismissive. It's just a way to start negotiating in a different direction. Okay, so I'm yeah. guessing that's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is tricky. How do you gracefully disagree with someone without shutting them down, turning off the conversation? Maybe you want to turn off the conversation. You know, I mean, you can say, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure about that." Maybe, maybe we can agree to disagree. That's one that kind of comes out. I have a friend who's from Atlanta, and uh, she taught me this, and it's. Uh, I find it. You, I think it really works better when you say it with a real significant southern drawl and say it perhaps in the south. But you know, if you get to an impasse in conversation, she just kind of goes, "Well, now bless your heart." Oh yeah. <laughs> Which means like you're right. all wet. You're full of it, and yeah. we're uh-huh. not going any further with this. So. I just saw somebody use that. She's a person of some renown, and she's from Virginia, actually. And she, mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, bless her heart." And I mean that in the Southern way. <laughs> See, I didn't, as a Northerner, as a Yankee, I didn't, I didn't understand that. And I just, so I found it very, uh, I just found it very kind of interesting, very good. Delicately vicious. Yeah, but there you go. Deli- not, that's you're, be, a good you're being way dissed. Yeah, Deli- so you're, you're definitely being dissed. <laughs> Delicately vicious. Man, I got to yeah. add that to my. It's that, it's that steel magnolia. Okay, next one. One of my neighbors used to do this when I had an infant at home, and she would call. The first thing she would say is, you know, this is Patricia. Is this a good time to talk? Is this a good time to talk? What a great sentence. When you're calling parents of young children or when you're calling someone who's at work or just any time you want to have a conversation of some substance, ask the person, is this a good time to talk? Yeah, that's really good. See, you're showing respect for their schedule and for their life and their interests. And so you've, you've communicated more than those words alone. The sentiment there is, is significant. So that's a good sentence to have in your toolbox. On that note, I'm going to rant a little, a pet peeve of mine. You know how everybody likes to text now? And yes. we text back and forth. And texting is very, it creates a certain distance because you don't have to respond to a text right away. And you can just let it sit there. Whereas if the phone rings, you... You know, if you want to figure out who's on the other end of the phone line, and if it doesn't say so on your phone, you you pick it up and you answer it. So I just find that sometimes texting can get out of control. So every now and then I like to short circuit that and I'll call somebody without an appointment, without, you know, somebody I care about, somebody I want to talk, talk to without an appointment, a scheduled call, which seems to be increasingly rare these days. But then Back to what you just mentioned, Marna, you know, you do want to inquire, you know, hey, you know, I just wanted to talk to you, but is this a good time? And um, oh, yeah, it kind of clears the air. Yeah, yeah, I think I said that to you last night, didn't I? When I called? You did. You did. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I think that was right after, like, why don't you answer your text? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could tell there was a party going on. Yeah, no. Mike's are. son, the youngest son just graduated from college, so yeah. they had a graduation party. My youngest son, who, oh, by the way, for our listeners, is Marna's godson. Yes. So, Mr. Henry. Yeah, Mr. Henry graduated from college. We had a wonderful get-together yesterday. So it's funny to talk about all these 
conversation techniques and approaches because yesterday we had 40 people in the house. You know, that's, you, you get a lot of practice, let's say, working your way around a room talking to people who, you know, were invited, so you, you know them, you care about them, but then you you have to engage, you know, one after the next after the next. And it, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it, it helped me hone my conversation skills again. This is kind of like a review this morning, so thank you guys. <laughs> my daughter was here last night, and she was witnessing me, Kelly calling me and me texting and us texting back and forth. And finally she goes, Mom, why don't you just call him? Get him on the phone. Yeah. Call that bum Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what I did last night. As I was like, yeah. I am not going to try to type out a long text. I'm just going to call Marna. <laughs> and that's what I do with my kids sometimes, but they prefer to text. You know, after a while of going back and forth, you know, a lot of times it's they have a question or it's about health care. It could be about, you know, so there's a little back and forth. They have follow-up questions. I mean, a lot of times I'm like, oh, my gosh, why don't we just talk on the phone? This is crazy. I'm taking yeah. 15 minutes to try to click, click, click answers just would be so much easier. But, you know, that's just the way they like to communicate, which I get it. And they are much better at it than we are. Faster. The, the, yeah. speed, sure. the speed at which they can text is amazing. Yeah, and, and of course we're, and I'm sure it's because I'm like anal, but you know I'm doing my capitalization and my periods and you know trying to make bum bum bum. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile I get these little blurbs, there's there's very little plunk, punctuation, but I totally get the point, right? Yeah, I mean right. it's so. I've told my kids if it's more than three back and forth texts on the same subject, it's a phone call. So how's that working out, Marna? Yeah. Are they, are they <laughs> she playing never along? hears from them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know this mike it works out with elena my daughter not with my son yeah well i can sympathize with Stephen. i'm not either so as you know marna so but kelly i just have to say yesterday you covered for me in one of i think said texts you said oh mike read it and he responded yeah, well, um, you did. I think that was a text about an email. So now we're like two <laughs> yeah. layers deep here on this yeah, I was like, I just multimodal wanted... <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I just wanted Marta to know that you were on the ball. You, yeah. oh, you knew Kelly, what was going thank on. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, <laughs> she, man, she had your back. Covering for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had your back. No problem. Yeah, I was making guacamole. You know? I mean, come <laughs> yeah, on, I people. I wish I could have been there. It, sounds, yeah, it was sounds good like a guacamole. Party. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. This is the last one I have, and it kind of goes along with our podcast on unsolicited advice, the first episode of this season. And that is, are you asking for advice, or do you just want to vent? You'd be surprised. A lot of times they'll just say, I need to talk to somebody. I don't need to, to fix this. I just need to talk to somebody. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I mean, I just think overall, in today's world, where there are so many people that are lonely and struggling for whatever reason, part of me thinks it's because of the phones and the texting and the fact that families aren't living together multi-generationally or on the same block or in the same town, whatever, who knows the reason, but it's just important to be kind to others. I mean, I think that's what this is all about is, you know, there's a saying, we rise by lifting others, just doing those little things, even to a stranger in the store. You know, mm -hmm. Hello, how are you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, smiling, um, using a person's name, let somebody know you're glad to see them. Eye uh, contact. Yeah, I just think that those things go a long way. So yeah. I started out talking about the quote from E.M. Forster, who wrote Howard's End. His phrase, only connect, 
But it strikes me that we all may have, especially differing generations, different definitions of connecting. Like some in my son's and daughter's generation might think that texting and emailing regularly is connecting. It is. I think especially from their perspective, that's really important. They live in that world. In the case of Henry, who just graduated from college this weekend, he kind of grew up with that. So that's for him very, very normal. Our oldest son, he had quite a few years before, you know, smartphones were in everybody's hand. And he handles both worlds better. So it is a generational thing. Yeah, my daughter's the same way. And she and Ryan are the same age. Right. She didn't get a phone until probably high school. Wow. You were a mean mom, Marta. I was. I've been told that. (laughs) I I just wonder if, and I don't know the answer, but I know that that's considered connecting, and I know it's important mm-hmm. to that generation. But I just wonder if 40, 50 years from now, science and studies are, are going to show that this was really bad. And that's why there's been such a mental health crisis and so many yeah. issues. I, I don't know the answer, but part of me wonders if it's doing more harm than good. I would tend to agree with you in that, Kelly. If you're using modern devices to inform and coordinate, that's great. But if you're thinking that they are going to replace human interaction, whether that is just auditory on a phone call or if it's in person, I think you're mistaken. And there's no substitute for face-to-face, often including touch, like, you know, could be just the shake of a hand. There's no substitute for that. You opened up, I don't know if we were recording when you mentioned this, but you were talking about going back to work, Kelly, and how important that has been to you and how much you've enjoyed it. You know, being in the office with other yep. people that are, all have the same purpose and same goal as you do. Yep. And, and how affirming that is. Yeah, you know? and we don't, for the most part, we're in our offices working. But, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing each other saying hello, we might chat for 10 or 15 minutes during the day. We might, you know, run different legal issues by each other. It's just nice. Again, I just wonder if we're going to look back and find out that, mm-hmm. you know, the phone's a great tool, but we need to control the use of the phone, Mm -hmm. not let the phone Mm -hmm. control us. And and I fear that it's been set up to be addictive and, you know, become this integral part of people's lives that's like more important than actual people and actual interactions. And on this show, we keep emphasizing the importance of personal interaction. Mm -hmm. There's no substitute for that. You know, as we we talk about this, I'm struck by something I've been reading a lot lately from different sources, and maybe this is a future uh, episode for us, Marna, but, you know, companies in this country right now are grappling with the idea that the workforce wants, in general, to have the option to be remote. And they just, they find that to be more productive. They find it to be more flexible, better work-life balance. But companies are noticing an innovation and sort of creativity deficit because people aren't in the same room, just like Kelly talked about. They're not running things by one another. They're not chatting over lunch. They're not having a cup of coffee. And there's this, this gap. So maybe we can kick that around some other time. That is on the list of prospective show topics. Oh, yes. cool. That may be two shows, actually. Yeah. All right. I see I skipped one on my list. This is very important. I'm sorry for your loss, or I'm sorry for your trouble, 
or I'm sorry you have to go through this. When I was teaching freshman composition, I was reading the paper and I noticed that the sister of one of my students had died in a local hospital and didn't say the circumstances, whether it was a long illness or what. But the next day in class, of course, she wasn't there. And I said to the class, I'm not breaking any confidence here because it was in the paper, but one of your classmates, her sister died. So I'm sure she's in a, a lot of emotional pain and it would be great when she comes back to class if you guys reached out to her and told her that you were sorry for her loss. And some of them said, well, it's so uncomfortable. I never know what to say. And I said, I know it's uncomfortable. What you say is, I'm very sorry for your loss. And if there's Mm -hmm. anything I can do for you, please let me know Mm -hmm. and mean it. It's pretty straightforward and she'll appreciate it. That's empathy, you know, and empathy can take you a very long ways when used in the right moments. Yeah. And I, when she came back to class, I did see some of the other students talking to her and reaching out to her. And it was very heartwarming. That is difficult. uh, But that's one of those things that you get better at by doing and just kind of making yourself do it. It's, It's a difficult conversation, but it's important. Right? Like introducing yourself to the judge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's painful, but it's got to happen. Guys, we've covered a lot of ground today. We have. Any final thoughts on things you should definitely say? I think I said my part already, Marna, earlier about we rise by lifting others. Why don't we end on that then? We rise by lifting others. If any of our listeners out there have anything to add to this list of things you should definitely say, email them to us, inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com. That's going to be it for us today, but let's keep the conversation going. Leave us an email, inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com, or a voicemail at our website, ethicsandetiquette.com. Check out our Instagram, at ethicsetiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, And we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep sharing ethics and etiquette with your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Please join us again. New episodes are posted the first and third Wednesdays of every month, for the most part. See you then.